0: Hello and welcome to The Last Stand, a board gaming podcast brought to you from three sparkling countries across Europe. I'm Alessio, your designated driver today, and I'm joined here by Cara, Hi, and Fenn. In this episode, we'll bring the chill to three hot topics across the hobby. We'll experience a tournament at home with challengers, we'll see a definite amount of narrative gaming with Lens of Garcia, and then a really hard to quantify amount of narrative with a summer popular tabletop RPG talk. But before all of this, it's time to see how everyone is going with our usual standy catch-up. Cara, how's your pharyngitis going? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's uh, it's going quite well, so I'm. I'm Yeah, I'm feeling not too sick, Um, so basically it started two days ago, very slowly, and since I'm a teacher and use my voice a lot, I decided "Ah, I should go to the doctor immediately. Uh, He took one look into my throat and said, oh yeah, stay home until Monday. Um, So yeah, Um, outside of this recording, I'm not talking right now. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And about gaming... Um, still haven't gotten around to, to play a lot. I have played like earlier today, uh, a couple of rounds of Lands of Galzia, um, and, um, yeah. And tomorrow I will hopefully without too much talking, um, meet someone to try out the new Star Wars tabletop game Shatterpoint, um, which I'm really curious for. Um, Yeah, because I I really appreciate that basically list building is super easy and done in two minutes. Um, Something that uh, prevents me from playing other tabletop Star Wars, Star Wars tabletop games right now, because I just don't have the uh, time and leisure to sit down for half an hour to an hour and build a (laughs) list. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so... Looking forward to that. What about you, Finn?
2: What about me? Well, I've just discovered I forgot to turn Audacity on, so um, oh, <laughs> you, won't, you won't have any part of my introduction. There'll just be a silence. But I'm here now. Uh, I was very entertaining, as you can tell from the others laughing. Yes, um,
1: very. It was it yes. was the greatest introduction ever.
2: Yeah, I know. It's a real shame. It's lost, but luckily, it's something that actually gets said a fair amount around this household anyway. So, who knows? It might make another appearance. Uh, yeah, I've um, well, I've been playing a fair bit of um, Blood Bowl Three, which uh, is the tabletop. sorry, the
0: video game computer.
2: Yeah implementation of the board game Blood Bowl. Um, Blood Bowl 3 is the third iteration of the game which is made by Cyanide uh, who have been forced to make Blood Bowl games because they made a Blood Bowl ripoff, and Games Workshop went hey that's our game, we're going to step all over you and they (laughs) did. Um, And uh, uh, I was almost going to talk about it during this episode but instead I'll just talk about it briefly here um it's been out for three, four months, I think it is. The new season dropped. And um uh it's it's got like half the teams. Um and they're very uneven, the teams that they put in, and the new rule set is really heavily bash orientated. And for those people who are not familiar with Blood Bowl, which I guess is like Three people somewhere on an island. <laughs> uh, Hi. I say, being someone on an island. Um, Blood Bowl is effectively a blend of American football and rugby um, with street fighting on a pitch. And uh, you pick a race, you um, build it according to a roster. So you're allowed some positionals, some norm, uh, like the rest is filled up with linemen. You might have like a really big dude on your team who's um, dumb as rocks in most cases. And uh, team play style varies a great deal, but a lot of it focuses around either um, bashing your opponents into the dirt or avoiding it. Um, And uh, the new rule set encourages that and it rewards fouling even further. So the game has pivoted even more towards being like a skirmish between two tiny battling warbands dressed (laughs) in bright colours, mercilessly crushing each other. And unsurprisingly, Games Workshop refuses to fix dwarves, which is a very uh, very like controversial area. Um, dwarf players in Blood Bowl are the most conservative individuals in Blood Bowl. <laughs> like, by nature, play, they are drawn to the dwarf team. And the dwarf team is like a very controlling team as well. Go um, long bears. The trouble, is, <laughs> the, the tr- the trouble is, is they come with block, which is the best skill in the game. Every member of their team has it except for two. Um, They have uh, thick skull, which means half the time when they should be knocked out and off the pitch temporarily, they don't go off the pitch. And the real offending part is they have tackle. Now, tackle's a fine skill. It's meant to counter-dodge, and dodge is a very, very good skill as well, and without that, dodge would be ridiculous. But it turns out having linemen, your basic bog-standard guys, all with tackle, uh, is really oppressive, and as a consequence... The um, best teams are all like, they're either dwarves who are consistently one of the strongest teams at all stages of the game. No matter how far you go up, they only become bad if a load of other people play even more bashy teams. But those really bashy teams are terrible at low team value. They're like Chaos, uh, Nurgle, um, and similar. And they, and they get good because they get access to a claw which negates armor, so finally they can attrition dwarves. Um, so everything's rotating around the dwarf team now, and people are just kind of not willing to admit it. Um, but, outside of that, um, it's been very enjoyable to play. Uh, Orcs are stupidly oppressive at the moment the start of the season, but they do kind of fall off a bit as time passes. They have had some nerfs. So yeah, uh, there you go, it's a mini-review of Blood Bowl 3 here, um... I guess that's mostly the most interesting thing I've been playing outside of playing more Apocrypha the World, which I briefly gushed about in the last recording I was in. Um, and it's sitting on the table and I want to go play it some more now.
1: I have a question of one of the yeah. three people in the world who don't know Blood Bowl. No. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, looked it up and you say something about free, and there's a third edition. Are we talking about the one from 1994.
2: No, um, Blood Bowl 3 is the video game, the third version of the video oh, game. Oh, okay, we are third, talking about the what? No, no, no. no,
1: what?
2: Yeah, in <laughs> physical form, the nearest you get to it, I think it's Blood Bowl 2020, which I do have a copy of upstairs and I've never played because there's no Blood Bowl players on the island. It's the
0: one with the um, passing separated from uh, agility.
2: Yeah, yeah, which is, I think, a good move, but they also needed to split block apart, and they needed to do something about the more bashy teams, but um, it's a work in progress, we'll see, Mm -hmm. we'll see. They get a lot more information these days, because, you know, there's, like, a lot of people now are into playing Blood Bowl on the... um, On the Steam game version, yeah, I
0: think that there are more people playing actually Blood Bowl on video game uh, than people playing the actual board game.
2: Well, if if you include Fumble, then yes, yeah, exactly. (laughs) I I, oh, speaking of which, before we get onto the actual topics, um, on this very front, uh, recently I got directed to a Fumble thread uh, about because Blood Bowl Three has brought people into streaming it and it turns out Blood Bowl's a lovely game to sit and watch someone stream, because there's like challenges every turn, there's room for smart play, there's dice rolls, there's emergent storytelling, all of that kind of kicks in both within a match and across a you know, a team's career. You know, there's highs and lows. I I think we can say that Kingdom Death, uh Adam, you know, Poots has played Blood Bowl because it, it, it has stuff in common. I
0: always um, say that. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, there is there is definitely some stuff in common in my opinion. Uh so it, it's been really enjoyable to watch, but um your average Blood Bowl player, like your average one, is like a fifty-year-old man. Who um, like if they play online, they play Fumble, and they're used to Fumble's been. I don't know, it's like twenty years old or something now, at least. It's, <laughs> it's been around a long time. I, I think
0: um, it's even uh, about between twenty and thirty, because I think yeah, in two thousand one it, it, it was played.
2: <laughs> I think so. I think it's around the age of the internet, possibly. Um, <laughs> you know, or the main, the main, like the ma- Generation Z is about a Generation Z old thing. I think is the best way to describe it. Uh, anyway, um, so I wanted to get to this thread. Uh, they are um, they're not used to their games being streamed so occasionally even now fumble games are getting streamed and they are very upset about it in some cases. They feel it's a violation of their <laughs> privacy. That, they're, or, or they're like, oh God, they're streaming and they're getting help from chat about how to play. And it's like, these are people who clearly don't have any understanding that when you stream something, you perform worse than when you don't. Because <laughs> yes. you're split between entertaining and Actually, trying to play, and also you're like looking over at all the other little bits and pieces you have to keep in mind, and all that setup and everything. You know, don't knock your microphone over, don't, 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 don't have the electricity fly off. All that no, stuff. That- but it, 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 I, I, it was some of the stuff they started writing was really um, ignorant, and there was a, they, they eventually reached a point where there was an attack on Gen Z um, about this, <laughs> uh, and, and I, I was just like, get used to it. Like if you play a game online now. And Fumble records games and other people can register for the site and sit down and watch your games. So uh, it's a lot of misunderstanding. A lot of people now come into interface with Twitch and being like, what is this? Oh, there's this person talking to chat about what they're doing. They're clearly getting help. And then you look at chat and chat is busy like chanting for an armor break and (laughs) <laughs> or, or, you know, kill him, kill him, kill him, foul, 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 or, or stuff like that, you know, or, or go on, pass the, bo- I know you'll only score on a six, but oh, throw it now, don't do the smart thing, just throw. Uh, so it's been, um, it's been a wild ride, like going through all of that stuff and everything. Um, But ultimately, it comes back to, uh, it's okay, bubble is okay. Um, If it comes on sale for about 15 quid, maybe 15 euros, I should say, give it a go.
1: Maybe I think it's on sale um, right now for €23 Euros or so.
2: I think that's a bit steep because the like single-player content uh, is not great. The AI is pretty dumb. And bizarrely, uh, you have to play on a time clock even against the AI, which I'm like, what? why? I like, understand in a match online against somebody else, there should be a clock. Why do I have the same timer against the team? So... When uh, is it's completely pointless? Because if you have to do something, if you just force close the game, um, when you come back on, it'll like load on a saved state to where you are. So I'm like, why'd they put a clock on here? Anyway, um, yeah, uh, I've accidentally reviewed Blood Bowl 3 here in the intro, so I'll stop.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it happened. So, what about me? <laughs>
2: Yes. What about you? Sorry, I need you to take a drink. What about <laughs> you, Alessio? I don't care what you've been doing, but maybe the listeners do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> let, let, let's keep up this farce, then. Okay. Oh, I, I recently got a matched the, the genie of the lamp versus Harry Houdini. And I have to say, it has been the, the most fun I had from an unmatched set. In it's, really years. Fun. Yeah.
2: it's really fun, but it doesn't make any sense. Yeah,
0: exactly. What? Uh, the, the cool thing about it is that it, it is actually a, a user-sponsored deck. Uh, contest which uh, actually Restoration Games sponsored the contest which created uh, this set and the next one which is also extremely interesting so uh, uh, these are the winners of uh, deck uh, pitching contest basically and they are two cool decks with <laughs> kind of a common theme but thinking that there are in the Tomb of Solomon there are the Genie of the Lamp and Harry Houdini fighting to death it's exhilarating and they play beautifully
2: <laughs> yeah i'm very very excited about tales to amaze which we weren't allowed to back the kickstarter for because yeah. we're not in america what what are you doing but i've i've pre-ordered a copy as soon as it gets to sweden because i mean all right sure it's mothman who's a ridiculous like <laughs> i think most people's experiences with mothman are via fallout um but he's an american cryptid yeah and a Martian invader, but it's it's a cooperative kind of boss battler, and I think the core unmatched mechanics are so good that I'm very excited to see how they translate it into a cooperative um, versus one big nasty thing. It could be a, a whole new area for...
0: Unmatched. Yeah, sh- shame that Tales was uh, US only, but I did like you. I, I just put a pre-order, and I hope it gets here soon. So... Uh, actually, uh, there's also uh, this contest. Also, had uh, another two entries, which will be one of the next sets for uh, scheduled for this year, which are uh, equally beautiful. There's William Shakespeare versus Rosie Deriveter, and I'm v- versus versus who? Rosie Deriveter. The, the the the. the poster girl from the second world war yeah oh
2: right yes yes Rosie yeah yeah
0: yeah Uh, yeah. and uh, this is already interesting like that but uh, I'd love to just pitch uh, William Shakespeare versus Velociraptors. so
2: (laughs) I, I feel like maybe they should have put somebody else against William Shakespeare like a bigger um, contrast, vencer, yeah, or or you know, you know, then it's the pen mightier than the sword. They could have splashed across
0: <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, the, the theme is a bit off, but it's like, well,
2: it's always off. It's always that like, Cobble and Fog was the closest they got to a coherent theme. I no, think. No,
0: uh, I love Red Riding Hood versus Beowulf. They are the dog in That's, common. That, yeah.
2: They, 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 no, they don't. <laughs> yeah. R- Little Red Riding Hood doesn't even kill monsters. She just gets eaten by
0: it. Yeah, but it's this kind of silliness, which makes a matched match, and match. It, it, I think it's it, right it in the name unmatched. <laughs> yeah, I know,
2: I, I know. It's it's been good ever since it was was it um is it Star Wars Jedi Duels or something like that? The original system. Yeah,
0: exactly. It, yeah, and uh, Star Wars Epic Duels was good, but That's I it. think uh, this new iteration is simply. Uh, actually perfect it's an open system you can have everything in there so
2: yeah one can hope maybe they go full circle and one day perhaps bring bring them back a few of the Star Wars characters I mean I would personally love to see how Jean-Luc Picard does against um, Sherlock Holmes <laughs> yeah
0: Picard yes okay let's keep up with this farce
2: again okay <laughs> Uh, well, I guess you're right, the new Picard series hasn't yeah. been right. the last season <laughs> it was.
0: Ok, let's cut this year before Kara gets a heart attack.
2: I have no
1: idea what you're talking about, but it's fun! <laughs> uh, Fen-, Fen is keeping
0: mentioning Star Trek characters in Star Wars.
2: I don't know the difference between Star Trek Wars and yeah, exactly. Trek Stars, um, but if you want to talk about specific board games, I can, because I've played some of them. I mean, like, recently, Kara was talking about the Firefly um, board game, and my opinion is, uh, Star Wars The Outer Rim is way better. <laughs> it does everything but better.
1: But it's not there about the game, it's about the theme.
2: The theme? It, it, right. <laughs> I don't think Firefly is a better theme than Star Wars. Oh, I... I... I d- sorry it's not it's not one of them still alive in a juggernaut franchise and the other one is as dead as several like of the cast
0: yeah uh, the, the characters I should say the actual western theme was not bad actually there's a bit of no, it was red a, it was a good vibe. idea
2: yeah <laughs> it's a good idea but it's it's a dead series yeah I mean yeah. Star nope. Wars is, is
1: also kind of like I, I feel Star Wars has reached a point where maybe it should just end
2: Maybe it should, but it's not dead yet. It is it, nothing ever dies, isn't it? Isn't that what they say? Yeah. Nothing a- ever a- and dies.
0: Also, uh, Andor is quite, is pretty good. Yeah. Yes, as a Andor was yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah. yeah. That I have to admit. That's yeah. Yeah. Oh,
2: it just turns out that the Star Wars universe is more interesting when you're watching like stuff that doesn't involve Jedi, which is why I think Picard's a great addition.
0: <laughs> okay. Oh. Anyway, it's summer. It's time to watch series, it's time to play silly games like Beach Volley or Capture the Flag by the Seashore for the chance maybe of winning a free drink, so speaking of Capture the Flag, I think it's time to talk about challengers. Okay. Uh, Challengers is uh, uh, actually a game pitched by One More Time Games, uh, most famous for Rift Force actually. And uh, it's a game by Johannes Krener and Markus Lavicek, and I hope I pronounce them right. And it's basically uh, a game of a tournament of capture the flag. Uh, you play it uh, Uh, like a very very silly game, but uh, this game has two things uh, going about it uh, which are simply extremely fun and wonderful. I'll talk about them after I explain why the game is so silly. Uh, Basically, uh, at the same time you have all participants in this Capture the Flag tournament challenge one of uh, 101 so you have one player with a deck on one side and another player with another deck on the opposite side there's the flag in the middle and you basically flip cards randomly from your deck these cards have a power value the highest power takes the flag when Uh, you have the flag, the opponent is challenging the flag, so he is basically uh, flipping cards until the sum of all the cards he gets uh, are bigger than the value, equal or bigger than the value uh, on the single card holding the flag in that moment. When the flag is captured, the uh, opponent gets the flag on its last flipped card, and all the other uh, cards from the uh, losing player get to the sideboard which has a fixed number of spaces. When the sideboard is full, because you can place only the same cards with the same name on the sideboard, when the sideboard is full and there, are, there is no more room where to place your cards, uh, you lose. When the, you, ca- you have to draw and you have no cards to draw and you don't have the flag, you lose. So basically this is the game and, explained this way, is pretty silly. There's uh, a game uh, like this, uh, which is a popular kid game but like two or three years old kids, which is called Strappa Camicia in Italian. Which is basically the same played with poker cards. So you basically flip cards. The higher cards take the others, and uh, who is left without card loses. So the game itself is very very silly, but this game has two two beautiful things going on for it. The first one is uh, the drafting. You know the cards. uh, if all the cards only had the their. Uh, power as the discriminant, uh, they would be actually uh, very very limited. Uh, every card has special powers. Usually, you have cards with low power with very good combos or uh, low power having good name, uh, all the same name, so that you can put them in the same place on the sideboard, so that they don't use up your um, your space. Uh, so basically. Uh, you are working to build up combos with your cards, but since you don't decide which cards you are flipping, because you are basically shuffling your deck and flipping, uh, all of the game is in the draft and the draft is beautiful. Basically the game is seven rounds in which you you go against uh, seven different games against the same opponent, against against a bot, against another opponent, there's a tournament schedule, which is the second thing uh, good for this game, uh, and before each round of these seven rounds you uh, can draft, and the drafting is, uh, you have a tournament schedule, depending on the point of the tournament schedule you are in, you can dec- decide to pick a Two low power cards, or one medium power cards, or two medium power cards, or one high power cards, and and so on. There is a, a lot of combinations depending on your tournament schedule. And uh, when you pick your draft, you can basically for each card you can pick, you can draw five cards. And uh, once in all this phase, uh, you can decide to discard any number of them and. Uh, draw again and then you have to pick one or two or three or depending on whatever you have to pick. So drafting is actually very very flexible and uh, it's beautiful because the cards are so simple and with very simple powers that they are actually comboing pretty well. There are 10 sets you can choose from, you can put basically uh, four, uh, four, 4 sets at random from these 10 sets so then you can have necromancers, skeletons, challengers like runners or cooks or rubber duckies or whatever, aliens, superheroes and whatever and they all have their own powers. They are either low power with very good combos or very high power. And if they are high power, usually they either do nothing or do something against you. Uh, the draft is very very interesting, and it's all—it's half the fun of the game. The other half of the game, which is, uh, I think, I think, I think, which is pure genius, is the fact that this is a game which when you play it you feel like playing a serious tournament. Uh, Basically every round is fighting against uh, one opponent, this game goes for a player count of one to eight players, so with eight players you have four fields full of uh, people playing at the same time one against one. Uh, If you are playing a LAN you are playing against a bot and Then the rest, there is a tournament schedule for each number of players, basically. When the number of players is odd, there's always a bot against one of the players. And uh, it's beautiful because the way the competition is structured, the way you win trophies, you get fans and the following, and uh, you basically move and get better and you are pitted against someone who won a lot of trophies. You feel exactly, uh, or at least in my case, I felt exactly like uh, when I played in an Android Netrunner tournament, when I saw, oh, this is the Italian champion, he he won a lot of tournaments, I I did nothing. (laughs) This is so exciting. So uh, the the game manages with a simple, uh, very silly board game. In, in essence, manages to bring you the feeling of playing an actual card tournament, and I think this is beautiful. Now, uh, a thing to know, uh, Challenger has a very whimsical feeling, uh, it's, uh, it, has this, it is designed like a cartoon, basically, and uh, its components are pretty good, there is a very good insert to draw cards from, uh, and uh, the playmats are neoprene, and uh, the cards are decent quality. Nothing uh, to write home about, but they are pretty decent. And uh, uh, the game itself has been nominated for Kernelspildes Jares this year, uh, which is the, let's say, technical game side of the Spiel Yares nominees, and uh, it's probably, uh, for me, it's my winner, because it's a very good game. I probably not candidate him for, uh, uh, for Kenner Spildes des Jahres, but uh, I know that games got simplified, so pretty fun. Anyway, uh, this is it. Challengers in a few words. I hope it was clear.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um... I was looking at it while you were talking about it, and I, uh, I, I zoned out staring at the giant rubber duck. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, actually, I, I think that my favorite is The Night, uh, because... I, I, okay, l- l- let's say this. Uh, Challengers is a game which looks pretty silly, because basically it's flipping cards. And you say, that's it, what's my agency, and whatever. Uh, I can tell you by playing a lot with uh, all kinds of opponents, because actually this game gets played a lot, uh, that in the end the most experienced players win. Uh, You always, maybe not the final winner, but the the, the two players getting to the finals of the tournament are always the best players. So uh, there's a lot great going on for it, and that said, uh, I love the Knight card because the Knight gets uh, stronger the stronger the the, the most, the more uh, your opponent won trophies. So it's a great card for the final battle. Otherwise, the the Alien set is really crazy. The Fantasy set is great. There's the Wizard. There's the Necromancer. There are the Undeads. There's the Jester. <laughs> Basically you got themes. Uh, you get people from the city, you get people from the space, uh, you get uh, carnival team, you get fantasy team, you get dinosaurs. That's basically everything.
2: Okay. So it says this game is 1 to 8 players, but you said it's like two players. No. So how exactly? Yeah. Does that
0: work? Yeah, exactly. It's played like a tournament. So basically, you are uh, uh, it's 1 to 8 players because when there's an odd number of players, you add a bot so that the players are always even. Then couples of players at the same time challenge one-on-one. At the same time, you have four boards playing at the same time. There's a tournament schedule and you go, uh, you basically uh, decide your opponents because the the fields, the parks are color coded and uh, you know like, oh, my second battle is in the red park and you fight against whoever is in the red park at the time.
2: Okay, so uh, I guess talking about Blood Bowl earlier was relevant then. It's a bit <laughs> like doing that, except in a shorter time, front, time frame. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah, okay. And uh, if there are no questions?
2: Just, just one. How much of a dud is the bot? Uh,
0: yeah, that, that, that's cool, because uh, uh, the bot can be uh, regulated for uh, difficulty. You have four levels and the manual has uh, uh, rules for adding uh, levels other than four, so it can be as difficult as you want. Uh, I I can tell you that the level zero of the bot can be actually uh, bested by kids because my kids regularly play against it when we are not the number of players and we are usually three playing, so uh, it's very good. I played up to level four and I managed to beat it, but I never played higher difficulty levels. Okay, all right.
2: Well, that's good that it's got scalable difficulty, so that gives it solo playability, and you can also run a tournament with a bot tuned as difficult as you possibly can manage it <laughs> and be like, good luck everyone, everyone can fight for second place. Enjoy, this is what the future is going (laughs) to be.
0: Exactly. Uh, Anyway, I don't recommend it just for solo game because uh, I think the biggest thing this game is going on is the fact that you feel like playing on a tournament. And uh, when you have to play one or two players, you are challenging the same opponent for seven times, not even the bot. So... uh, it's not as fun as playing in four or six. So basically I'd recommend it to play in four. Already four players, they are already a great player count. Uh, three players is great if there's someone who wants to uh, to, to actually take care for the bot. Uh, but uh, one or two players, there's probably something funnier because you you are getting this to play a tournament? and it's pretty good at this, but the game in it itself is still a simple
2: game. Okay, so I have one more question. It's I'm not sure if you're going to be able to answer this or not. Say, so theoretically, for this example, group size is between 1 and 4, because that's what the other game goes up to. Uh, is this going to be better than Baseball Highlights 2045?
0: I don't know the game.
2: You don't know you it? Know. Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to have to review it sometime okay. in the future, because it's... <laughs> It's really good, but it also has a great solo mode. Okay, well, that's just. That's, that's for a, another time, then.
0: Okay, so. Uh, That'll be it. Yeah, I, I think we can move out from crazy and inventive tournament matchups to get to crazy and inventive campaign world building. I think it's time for Lens of Galzir.
2: Woo! Yay! Oh, okay, um. I'm immediately going to take Umbridge at Inventive, and we'll get back to that, and it's not necessarily <laughs> a criticism, but this is a very old style of game, um, and I will touch on that when we get back to it, but it has its roots in uh, 1985 or earlier. Anyway, this is Lands of Galzia from Sami Lasko, uh, he's a Finnish designer, so I might have butchered his surname, but I'm not going to try and pronounce it in the Welsh or Swedish way, because that wouldn't work. Uh, it came out last year, and it is a 1-4 one- to player sandbox story game. So, the difference between a sandbox story game and like a normal story game is... Your normal story games sort of kind of on rails in that while you have decisions you can make along the way you're sort of following a fixed narrative. A good example of that would um, be Roleplayer adventures, which is really good, um, but it is effectively playing through a bunch of preset stories that you make decisions along, and the narrative can change as you get there. Same thing would be Legacy of Dragonhold. This, on the other hand, um, is far more a collection of different stories and vignettes put together. Uh, and it takes place in, well, it says Lands of Galzia, but uh, the, the place is Daimira um, and I think Dale of Merchants, and there's another game as well that was set in yes. the same setting. Yeah. Um, so you will take step into the lack of boots of one of four different characters, um, who are anthropomorphic um, animals? They're, they're an ele- eclectic bunch for sure. Uh, you've got Keridai, the northern banded newt, Isala, the river kingfisher, Moor, the frilled lizard, not the god of Boo. death, and and <laughs> Bamir, who uh, the um, the marked polecat. Um, and each character has their own sort of different set of traits. Uh, which is a, a fun little system that's fairly easy to operate. You have a dial on your character board with a bunch of punch holes in it, and you can either have none, one or two of these, like, semicircles in there, um, and they each colour represents a different kind of thing. So you can be, if you've got lots in pink, you're good at stealing. Uh, orange is a sword for fighting kind of physical stuff. There's a survival skills, knowledge, uh, conversation, touch, and perception. And additionally, in a rather fun way, each category colour um, also has a little bit of a splash in the two colours to either side of it. So if you're good at stealing, then those dice are also going to give you some benefits in being perceptive and fighting. So uh, there's a, a knight, you can be good at a number of different things. You can actually cover quite a broad selection of categories if you just want to be a jack-of-all-trades. But your characters will start focused with two in one and one in two others. And events can change that as they go around. Um, So that's kind of what the characters are. uh, And I wanted to talk about them briefly before getting into the actual game itself. Because uh, a lot of the game happens under the hood, so to speak. Uh, So the other limitations of your characters, well, they'll have some gold, which is a little dial that um, you use to keep a track of it, which makes it easy for packing away because these are persistent characters from one session to the next. And you've got three slots for items and an infinite number of slots for companions. Um, and you're allowed to hold up three quests. So anyway, you'll pick your character. Um, you'll put out a nice little mat and you'll set it up that there's like a bunch of starting quests. Uh, you'll have a couple of starting items um, set to you. You'll have a starting personal quest to follow through to give you some direction and set up initially. And add a little bit of character to your Your particular avatar in the world Um, and then pretty much most of the game happens on the app because physically on a turn you will move up to two spaces and it's it's basically node systems there's a bunch of cities where the main thrust of stories happen uh, and they'll sometimes you'll be going to them or you'll be going to places near them and then uh, the rest of them are kind of like randomised nodes of a certain flavour or feeling, and depending when you land on it, you'll draw an event card, and you'll have something happen which can vary based on location. Day of the week is one of the things that can change it. So essentially, this is a game where you move a bit, you draw a card, uh, or you look at the board and pick a number, and the person who's been your storyteller for the turn enters those into an app and will read out the story to you, And you sometimes make decisions, you sometimes make checks, and some narrative stuff happens to you. It might change the situation for you, or um, maybe give you a new quest or a new direction, or you'll meet some characters. You get little vignettes of the world. And essentially, that's more or less it. The big thing to note is um, this game has a lot of cards as well. They're set up in what's called a library, and at the very you first get the game. There's a set of instructions to follow to set up the game. Do it properly. Um, don't cut any corners because if you get it wrong, you will cause problems for yourself in the future. And you need to be quite strict about keeping the cards in the right places. Um, but the uh, the nice thing about the app, which I liked, is everybody can have their own copy, and you know, like either download it on their app or they're accessing the website, and. It's able to, it, it doesn't like track anything on the app, like so you're just referencing a load of stuff, but there is a lot on there, uh, which means everyone can have their own device, you don't have to pass a book around. That is pretty useful, and they have supplied a copy you can download. Uh, a session as well is pretty good, in that, um, and I'll talk about some of these later, but. Uh, so some of these story style vignette games can get very long. We're talking like three hours a session. This one, uh, you can you basically play like in little chunks, a number of days, depending on the number of players. Like you could be playing for a week, maybe or less than a week. And at the end of it, you'll all meet up and have a little like, um, how's everyone doing? And if you're playing cooperatively, you'll be asked. Check how well you've done on a given score. If you're playing competitively, there can only be one who gets all the glory and everything. Uh, or solo, you know, um, you just get celebrated or, uh, or not based on your achievements. Um, like my uh, wonderful achievement of um, not getting squashed by a rock, which was the best thing I did in one of our sessions... Uh, failed to climb a mountain, didn't get squashed by a rock, failed to climb up a tree, decided to not bother it to speaking to this person who might have been very interesting because I didn't have any relevant skills, and I was like, I don't don't care that you're doing archaeology. I know nothing about archaeology. I go in dark places and steal things. That's all I do. Um, So, yeah, and then when you get to the end of that block, you'll have your little wrap-up, and then the game can go, do you want to have another go? Like, another game now? So you can play, like, multiple games in one sitting, because um, it's not particularly long and it's very breezy and easy to use. Uh, as I said, I front loaded it by talking about the skills because that's my favourite part of the game is the skill mechanic. Um, these skills relate to dice. You'll normally roll five dice. They have one of each different system, signal <clears throat> one of each different symbol on them on each face. Uh, hence, there are six different skills. But the specific ones have um, double skills for your particular. Uh, forte, and then we have a couple of skills with the adjacent ones um, it's all like nice and easy, it's a very much a pick up a quest and go somewhere and do things, or just bumble about having adventures just whatever, do what you like and that can be a bit much for some people but for someone like myself who just enjoys prodding systems and picking the dumbest thing possible to do to see what the consequences are hence why I fell, failed to climb a tree a mountain and nearly got squashed by a rock all within 2-3 th- days of each other um it's it's quite delightful. Uh thematically it's beautiful. Uh it's super easy for someone to play. You know, literally, you know, you can spring somebody new in to an existing set that you've already been playing in for a while and go, Okay, well you can play one of these two characters, they haven't been played yet. They have got their little starting story, off you go. Um and they're like, Well what do I do? And you're like, Well, just make decisions, go places, see things and and have a have a nice time, which uh, I think is quite nice. And uh, all of us have played this, so I'm going to open the floor now to a general kind of discussion um, because, I as I said, I think mechanically this game is very light and accessible.
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, um, I have... Star- the first time I played it was in August last year. And um, I played it on stream. And then I haven't played it until today. And um, so for reasons which are kind of stupid now in hindsight, I didn't take it out again. And now I thought, ah, well, we will be talking about it. So I should, you know, refresh how it works and everything. So I took it out and I thought, okay, how do you do this again? I opened the manual and was like, all right, you move, you pick a number and you follow instructions. That was it. So um, I hate, normally I hate, App dependent games. Um, But first of all, I think it's great that they don't really, it's not an app. It's a browser. It's a website. Uh, You can download it. You don't even need internet connection during the game. um, If you've downloaded it on your phone, for example, Um, that's great. And I mean, it's just, it's, I, I love it. It's it's so relaxing it's not what i was expecting at first um i was kind of expecting more you know character progression and uh, learning new stuff and whatnot Um, and that's not happening here like it's You have your character and you can modify your character, you know, during a story uh, as a reward, you might be able to move one of your four skill points basically to another skill, but that's it. You don't get more skill points. You have a maximum of three items. So if you get new items, you have to replace other items. It's not like, oh yeah, you know when you reach a higher level you get more powerful items no um in my games today i actually was at the point where i noticed okay i've gotten so many items now and all of them i just threw away because i was just happy with what i had and um the ones i got were not stronger, not particularly weaker, but I was just happy, you know, with how my items uh, were spread out in their usability. And so, yeah, it, it was fine. And in the end, my character wasn't really different than when I started. Um, I haven't moved any of the skill points because I'm happy with the skill loadout out of my character. And um, so it's it's just this nice, relaxing, I sit down for forty-five minutes, uh, play a little, see something from the world there, and um, yeah, and also you know let myself kind of uh, take away from the story because I my second game today I start with oh yeah now I have these quests and I want to start there, go there and do this and on the second day uh, something happened that led me in a different path and I was like okay yeah sure then I'll do this now and um, so it really has this relaxed no pressure um, adventurous feeling just you know I'm out there walking about seeing the sights meeting people um, having small adventures and uh, returning home to the inn and tell people about my uh, achievements.
2: Yeah, um, I, I was, you just reminded me of the first time we played and um, uh, we both had our introductory stories and we got put on the map and my partner immediately started following um, the quest line and I instead went, oh, I'm here, I'm going to go in this and... Um, Uh, My partner was like, "But you've already been in there. That's where you were when you started. Why are you going back? And I was like, because I can. I I don't need to rush off and find out what this MacGuffin is. (laughs) There's this here. It's dark inside. I've got a lantern and a bunch of keys. Um, Although we'll talk about the keys in a second. Uh, I'm going to go and explore. And I did. And I found some throwing stars. And I was like, cool, great, now I'm this um, adventurous little ball of mischief with a lantern and some throwing stars and some keys that I thought, I I looked at them and I was like, all these do is you can trigger them when you're involved in an unlock situation, which I thought that makes sense. They're keys, They they work during an unlock, but all you do is you roll the d12 in the game four times and when you get a 10 to 12 you stop and you get four prestige points. And I looked and I was like, okay, prestige points are like an indicator of how well you're succeeding in the game. But effectively, all I do is I'm in front of this locked door or this chest and I pull out these and I go, look, I've got this handy set of keys to help with burglary. And it's like, well, how do they help? I jangle them a bit and I look through them and I go, look, shiny keys. And everyone goes, ooh. And I go, (laughs) I'm very prestigious now. And they don't help me pick the lock because that's what my skills do. So despite the fact that they generated prestige points and actually generated the lion's share of my prestige points for that particular session, I ended up throwing them away for an umbrella because the umbrella looked cool and I could fight with it or I could do some other things with it. And I was like, I'm just going to have an umbrella. It doesn't make prestige points, but I don't care because now I've got a lantern, an umbrella, and some throwing stars. I'm like some kind of... um, I'm like Short Round from Temple of Doom, yes please.
0: Yeah, i now say something which connects to both what you've said and it's a very specific point of view about this game. Uh, basically I have kids, kids with grabby fingers, who like uh, one of the two is pretty decent in English so he's playing narrative games now. And uh, they basically take over all my campaign games, all my uh, sandbox games, and they play. And Lands of Garzir is one of the very few games which allows me to actually enrich the experience when they do. And this is beautiful. The persistency of the world is beautiful. I I think uh, I got yes li- like like Kara in last year's summer. I played it a lot back then, and I think uh, I arrived uh, early this year, then uh, in the meantime I had kids playing. Uh, there, are th- The beautiful thing is that they played a few weeks, possibly a month, and after that when I get to replay, th- something has persisted, something else has happened, and the world went on. And this is basically a beautiful feeling in games like this because you don't get to experience this much this feeling in a lot of games. Probably the 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 game or, or rails which get close to this are probably the the... Uh, like Sleeping Gods, I'm thinking, uh, the way... You, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah, I was going to mention Sleeping yeah. Gods as an alternative choice, but Sleeping Gods is more urgent, I think. Yeah. It feels like there's time pressure in Sleeping Gods. And while there are time mechanics in this, like my partner had a set of newspapers that were only relevant for five days and then got thrown away, I feel like you could just... I'll get round to whatever I'm supposed to be doing in this a lot more.
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I think that there's room for both because basically what Lands of Galzir does is to leave you a game which progresses every time you play and uh, leaves you something for the next time you play. Uh, for instance, I think last, play, l- last time I played more The Frilled Lizard Uh, I think more put uh, like a sawmill on fire, if I remember it correctly, and uh, I forgot about it. I just uh, took it as a general role-playing game, Petty Revenge, and uh, I recently uh, stumbled into an event an event where uh, I was assisting people who got burned and were dying for the, from the from the burning sawmill. So actually, the, the 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 war persists, and it basically there are cute animals, but not everything is cute in this world.
2: No, no, it's it's a bit more serious, but that's not surprising given like one of the other games is Peacemakers, which has you. Um, cooperatively trying to um, uh, bring about peace you know it's called peacemaker colon horrors of war so it gives you an idea that there is a acute veneer to everything but there there can be serious subjects going on mm. within this
1: yeah um, yeah for example i actually encountered some, some story i had, had this quest you know oh yeah catch these criminals and Um, So, I I went looking for them and I found them in like a hidden um, camp in the woods and when I approached them, they were like, oh my god, no, we are found, what are we to do? And it's like, wait, but aren't you hardened criminals and I'm just an adventurer? Why are you panicking now? And it turns out, yeah, they are like some political dissidents who, you know, some scholars who... uh, Write pamphlets and books about the um, current system and economic system and how it should be more, um, uh, have more of an emphasis on equality and whatnot. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I'll help you find a new camp. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, there are these more heavy sub-topics in there. I actually haven't, you know, encountered any war or whatever yet. Um, but I really, yeah, what you said, this persistent world, it's just amazing. Uh, in one game today, yeah. I, I was at this place where they were like, oh yeah, we want to build this uh, spa thingy, whatever, in the wilderness, and didn't have enough people to help work. And I was like, oh yeah, I can chop down some trees for you and uh, help you win over some investors. And in the next game, um, a quest where I had to escort someone on their travel to a theater or something, Um, I came through where I earlier helped them with the spa building and I was like, hmm, now there is a spa. I want to check it out. I want to see what I helped build. And um, I had the option to do different activities. And it ended with me uh, showing kids how to tie some cool knots and a kid being appreciative and me getting some prestige points. And that's just that's what I love about this game. You have this persistency. uh, You you change the world. You have these, uh, it's it's just cute and it's fun. And I want to play more.
2: Well, um, to provide like uh, some additional pieces, first of all, there, yeah, like you said, there's some elements that will change. Uh, there's actually a section called the Vault where you'll like archive some stuff, either temporarily or permanently, so there will be alterations. Um, months change from one session to the next. When you pack the game away, you'll be ending that particular month. You'll be going on to a new month. There's two sides to the board, a summer and a winter side and there's some variations in what they're like as well. So yeah, it's it's um I I it is very much like a wandering around having an experience type game. And I think it's at its best with a smaller number of players as a consequence, cause unless you're super into sitting and listening to other people's stories and having fun because they are also engaging in a fashion that's maybe entertaining for you also. Um, this might be a better experience as like a couple or as a parent with uh, a, a child or two. Um, but it's really like there's apparently six novels worth of stories in this game. So uh, and I think the writing is is pretty good. Um, yes. Sometimes it is clear that um, English is in their first language. Uh, that's actually not a criticism. It doesn't mean it's, it's badly written. It's not. It's just as an English native speaker, well, semi-native, my actual native tongue is Welsh, and um, Beth. Uh, but uh, I actually mispronounced that then because I'm mispronouncing everything today. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's um, it, it's got some idiosyncrasies that uh, like tripped me up a little bit and I had to reread the sentence to be like, oh, this is what it's saying. Um, but the car- characters are delightful, the world setting is a lot of fun. I will say it's a bit of a shame that um, when you're using the app and you're reading, if you're playing multiplayer, there's little sections like when it's a gorilla or a squirrel, there's like you can click on it to pop up a little window and it talks a bit about the given animal. That's like far more engaging playing solo because if you're playing multiplayer, you're not supposed to be looking at the book at all, you're meant to be making decisions blind. As you know, based on what the prompts the other players have read to you are. So um, it, that's like a, a little bit of a, a difference in the experience. Um, yeah, but uh, I, I wanted to also like, this is a this is an 80 euro game. It's available right now, but I wanted to talk briefly about a few alternatives um, as well. So I already mentioned role player Adventures. I think the mechanics in Roleplayer Adventures when it comes to trying to resolve skills is that's more of a game. It's a dice-based game where you're trying to achieve, like Yahtzee, trying to achieve certain objectives. So if you don't mind the fact the story's on rails and you want a more robust system where you can even make your own characters, because Roleplayer Adventures lets you play roleplayer to generate your characters before going on an adventure with them, that's a possibility. Um, we also mentioned Sleeping Gods, which is a bit more sandboxy, but as I mentioned, I feel it has it has more time pressure in it. I always feel like I don't have enough time and then I'm gonna have to do like the roguelike loop again. And I didn't feel like I was getting uh, as much once I got like four or five sessions like four or five campaigns in. Whereas Lanza Galzia at the moment I I don't know when we're going to hit a repeat of anything. It feels like it's going to be a long while. So that's pretty cool. Um, but the other two options that are very close to this um, is uh, the original, which is Tales of Arabian Nights. And that is like, that's the 1985 thing I referenced. It yeah, does, I suspected that. It does land a Galzia from the start. And there was a... 2009 version um, which I own and it's um, modernised it to a certain degree Uh, it's not available except on the secondary market and it's going to cost you around the double of lands of Galzia Uh, there's a lot more in Tales of Arabian Nights as to options to what you can do, basically you'll like encounter a a Grand Vizier and it'll go, do you want to talk to him? do you want to fight him? do you want to run away from him? Uh, do you want to steal from him? Um, and a load of other things, so it has far more options but it feels less coherent, um, which can be its benefit and maybe a drawback as well. uh, Very memorable stuff happened, like in one game of Arabian Nights we played. I did what I often do, and I encountered said Grand Vizier, and I went, I'm going to steal from him. And everyone went, you're bad at stealing, why are you doing this? I was like, I don't care. And I stole his flying magic carpet by pure chance, and I spent the rest of that entire story with him cropping up time and time again, trying to get it back off me and causing all sorts of problems. Um, that was super cool. But you're looking at like two to three hours a session with Tales of Arabian Nights, whereas I think um, Lands of Galzia, you could possibly get done one, two-player, a whole game session inside an hour, hour and a half maybe. Yeah. That's
1: something um, I I have only played it solo. And Mm -hmm. solo, I need less than an hour for one session. Yeah, Yeah,
0: one hour and a half seems about right for multiplayer. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I noticed the scaling for number of players is like, uh, I think it's it's like eight days for one player, and it's down to like five days for four players. And basically,
1: I mean, correct me if I've got it wrong, but basically, every player turn is move, resolve a story. So
2: yeah, move, move, do a story. If
1: you are one player, you have eight days, so you resolve eight stories. If you're two players, you have seven days, so you resolve fourteen stories, almost double the amount of one player Mm -hmm. and Um, it goes up to 20 stories with four players. So two and a half times. So I would expect with four players, even we know with, uh, okay, who does what uh, discussion in between, that you are getting to two and a half to three hours with four players.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Yeah. So. The, the uh, Tales of Arabian Nights has a similar thing where it's quite a bit faster when you play with less players for the same reason, but I don't think it ever gets as fast as Lanza Galzia does. Lanza Galzia's like, system is so stripped down in clever ways and so much of it's packed into the app just to get it out of the way that you're not passing around two books and a grid table to work out what's going on all the time, which is great. Um, there's another option which came out just recently that I'll probably talk about in the future, hopefully. It's from Everything Epic, who are the guys who made the absolutely brilliant Big Trouble in Little China board game, um, which sadly is out of print. Um, it went out of print so quickly they couldn't even re- replace my box which arrived damaged. That's, uh, a shame. But anyway, Agents of Schmirsch is, um... It was a twenty twelve game originally, I believe, and it is uh, you play globe trotting spies, um, super spies, all that kind of James Bond sort of man from Uncle kind of um, stuff. And uh, you just you have a a particular villain plot to deal with, and you'll um, play as you explore around the world and have little vignette stories and try and become good enough to take down the boss. So that one has more of a focus on the end, but it is back to a lot heavier on what you're having to handle. Um, so it's not quite so suitable for younger players. There's like a gigantic encounter book in Agents of Smirsh, Um which, of course, Smirsh, mesh which also isn't in Lanza of Galzia. Lands of Galzia, like, is so, it's so light and easy. I even managed to put the dice tray into the main box um, and, it, you know, I can just take a box and the roll up the map, because I like the map on Neobrain, and that's it. Um, so those are the other options uh, If like they're all within the same mechanics and there's Destinies which we talked about in the past but Destinies is a great system but badly implemented with terrible stories uh, Forgotten Waters I think we've talked about as well um, another variation on this storybook system but that's more party orientated and silly and of course Seventh Continent which... Um, has its issues. So I think of all of these, Lens of Galzia is probably the best of this genre that I've played. Um, But I'm kind of excluding Sleeping Gods there. Um, I
1: mean, basically, if you you want a story with interaction, Lens of Galzia is great. If you're looking for like an actual game, maybe not.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, the, that's the thing. I don't, there's, There are miniature fail states in Lands of Galzia, but uh, I never got the impression that you're ever going to be put in a position where the game goes and your character dies. I don't think that's remotely yeah, an option. Either. Yeah, yeah, which is fine, actually. It's fine. Um, I mean, it's great to have something like that that you can play with younger people and they can experience some stuff that's a bit like, ooh, that's, this is a serious topic, but engaging it in a... Kind of like not particularly harmful way, um, so that's pretty good. And if you like the setting but you don't like uh, the concept of this game, Dale of Merchants is a very good deck building game in the same world, um, and I would also like recommend that for a look at. Um, also, I love deck building games; it's very good. So that's uh, that's Lands of Galzia, and I think overall, um, if I was going to say, I think it's a seven out of ten game for me. Uh, Maybe seven and a half. Yeah, yeah. I, I I figured both of you were going to score it slightly higher, yeah. um, and that's fine. Uh, I I like I've I had a good time with it, and I love the mechanics, and I think the skill mechanics and dice mechanics are great. Um, I my score rating might go up more the more I play it, um, but like based on a few sessions worth of play, it impresses me. Like I am very impressed with what it's doing. Um, and how well put together it is, but it impresses me more than the experience. Like it excites me. It's cozy. It's definitely yeah cozy. I think is the term <laughs> I look for.
0: Now okay, we are done then with three uh, little and newts uh, and uh, some cats, something, uh, pole cats maybe. Uh, <laughs> pole cats. Yes. Yeah, pole cat. and it's the. T- do not forget Bamir. Yeah, the, I, I, uh, the, the Kingfisher, right?
2: <laughs> no, Bum, is the pol- Oh, the Polka, yeah, right? Bamir, okay,
0: yeah. Bumier, yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, or, or Bummy, Bummy as we called him yeah. while I played him. Yeah, the yeah, we,
0: we, uh, I have this uh, damn Italian accent. So, <laughs> whatever. Uh, now we can talk about, uh, about stuff like mind flayers, Beholders, Geeth Yankee and everything else which is usually copyrighted without repercussions because we are actually about to talk about it. It's time for Kara to talk about some role-playing game, I think.
1: Yeah, so Dungeons & Dragons. Let me start. You know, I started role-playing games with Dungeons & Dragons uh, somewhere around 2004, I think, uh, when some classmates were like, hey, you like video role-playing games, right? We might have something for you. And um, so I ended up in in the the room of a classmate uh, sitting there and um, playing a ranger and um, they were like, hey, and what do you want to do? And I'm like, oh yeah, my ranger will go to the uh, innkeeper and ask them uh, um, about what's going on in this town. And they all looked at me and said, then do it. And I'm like, what? So that was my uh, first, uh, that were my first steps into role-playing games. Um, and yeah, and I've played D&D um, from then on and off until basically like a month ago. Um, I mentioned it in an, in last or second to last episode uh, that we finished our uh, long-standing campaign. Um, and I... Kind of wanted to talk about D and D because it's such a great influence on me. I had so much fun with it, but I also hate it. And um, <laughs> or let's say me too. I, I've grown to hate it. Um, when I first started, I, it was amazing. Yeah, you know, I I've always watched these fantasy movies, lot of the Rings, and and. Whatnot? I, I can't even remember what uh, all the things I watched, but um, and I played these video games. You know, I, I played Neverwinter Nights, Baldur's Gate, and um, Star Wars: uh, Knights of the Old Republic. Um, and I didn't really get these games. Um, I mean, they were fun, but I, I didn't really understand the mechanics until I started playing D and and I was like, oh wait. That's the same mechanic. And um, so, yeah, um, it was great, you know, just diving into these worlds, um, having fun with friends, meeting each week, uh, wondering what our game master has prepared this time and all the, the running jokes we developed over the years. Um, for example, um, <clears throat> one time when I um, uh, DM'd the group um there was the situation where uh, the party decided it was a good idea to attack a big uh, military convoy uh basically like four people attacking 120 people or so and i was like are you sure that's what you want to do? yeah yeah sure that's a good idea and I, okay and um so when it was the the, the army's turn um I, you know, just clumped them together and I had this uh, enjoyment of letting arrows rain on my party. And um, so when it was my turn, I was like, okay it's raining arrows again. And years later, uh, my friends are still quoting me. And um, when in some game, you know, there are arrows and an arrow gets fired, it's like, oh, it's raining arrows again. (laughs) So. So, yeah, it's it was amazing. And um, and then we reached higher levels and um, it was really apparent in this last session of our campaign um, where it became really epic yeah, and it was a really fun session and a great finish for our campaign um, we were in um, this uh, dale where you uh, evil organization was about to take over, and um, we uh, tried to help the people and started inciting a, a, an uprising, and um, and it all led to these uh, uh, <clears throat> clashes that got uh, more epic each time. And there was this one time, so okay, now they took some villages and want to um, Uh, make an example of them you know hang them for the treason and we were like oh no we can't let that happen so we um, confronted them and basically i I played a wizard and i dissolved or disintegrated the leader of the enemies in the first turn and then the dwarven warrior um, cut down the two trolls in the first and second turns and we were like Damn, we grew powerful, right? And <clears throat> and it ended with the, the, the final fight where um, our druid summoned some air elementals that just trapped the enemies. And the enemies, if they got out, they got trapped immediately after again. And then our game master was like, um, how long do they stay? And our druid looked up. The, Oh yeah, for the next 10 rounds." And she was like, okay, you win. Um, Because it was the point where we are, yeah, they can't do anything against us. And it kind of shows part of my issues with D&D. When you get to higher levels, it kind of turns into this, whoever casts the first spell wins. Because spells become so powerful that, um, yeah, they, they finish a fight immediately or, or you have the exact counter spell to this spell prepared and cast. So the spell fizzles out and then it's your turn to hopefully cast one spell that the enemy is not prepared for in this moment. And, um, yeah, and it's uh, it's... It just isn't much fun at this point anymore. So uh, we resolved a lot of things in this last session. With oh yeah, you want to do that? Yeah, you managed to do it because you are so freaking powerful now. And um, <clears throat> I still think D has uh, is a great game for you know getting people into the hobby. Um, I have to say I only played D 3.5 i know dnd 5 is so much better and everything but every time i talk with people about what's different in dnd 5 i have opinions it ends, <laughs> I, yeah it ends with me saying yeah but it doesn't change anything about my criticisms does it so um i mean it still has this power creep it still leads to in higher levels a fighter has no reason to do anything else than just attack because that's the most powerful thing he can do. And um, yeah, so not sure in how far I would be more happy with D&D 5. Um, but apart from that, even in lower levels by now, I have to say I don't particularly like d for myself. because. D&D is an arcade role-playing game, basically. You know, it's, um, you want to go into dungeons, kill monsters, loot stuff, level up, that's d If you want to do, you know, real character development, have interesting stories um, with twists and turns, um, have characters that actually have a certain depth built into the system, that's not D and in the last years i've encountered so many other amazing tabletop uh, role-playing games and um i'm really hoping i can convince my group now that we finished our dnd campaign we are thinking about okay how do we continue and they were like oh we could start D 5 and i'm like no please 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 there are so many great systems um so i offered to um dm uh some one shots in different systems and i'm really thinking about which systems they would like the most so i basically have a hit and they say like oh yeah that's what we want to play now um and yeah so i actually started kind of collecting tabletop rpgs by now um i think previously when we talked about kickstarters it kind of you know uh um, was noticeable that I back a lot of tabletop RPGs, or backed. Well, I backed one this year as well. So, um, and <clears throat> I don't really get to play them as much as I would like, and that leads to some uh, something maybe interesting for at least some people who are listening, um, because I decided I want to actually can say that I have played all of my role-playing games at some point um, and not say oh yeah of my 20 tabletop RPGs I've played five or so Um, so I am thinking uh, close uh, getting to planning um, to offer some uh, one shots for well uh, listeners and members of this podcast and um there i don't have many more details at this point but um i have to also uh, point out i'm really bad at organizing with people and um it's super stressful for me so i'm ah and um but basically if you say hey that sounds kind of interesting looking into different tabletop rpgs uh Maybe looking at some indie games um, and whatnot, Um, and you think, oh yeah, Kara is maybe not the worst person I could imagine um, being (laughs) a game master for a role-playing game. Um, You should maybe join our Discord and um, you know just uh, say hello, mention, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. Um, I'm I'm willing to um, be may be available if the time is right, and we'll go from there, basically. That, that's great advertising.
0: You, you, you know, <laughs> la, la, last week I was playing La Pasión de las Pasiones, which is basically a tabletop RPG about soap operas. You are... Okay. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's beautifully trashy. <laughs> I, I don't think I will ever play another session again, but it was an intense three sessions. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think it's very, very difficult to pin a game which spend basically fifty years and counting, like D and D, in all its iterations. So you you did a pretty reasonable job, to 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 a pretty good job actually. <laughs> I, Thank you. Thank yeah, you. no, I am a computer programmer, so I'm I'm used to be very sensible with compliments. So <laughs> so that, that's it. But uh, the only thing you can do is possibly to, to, to talk about how you feel playing a game, and yeah, I, I, I think I got a grasp of what's your experience with d and I, I just, since you mentioned that you only played 3.5, I, I just want to mention one little thing, because uh, uh, last year I DM'd uh, fi- a 5th edition uh, short campaign, and uh, uh, basically my thoughts are yours, meaning that uh, d and is a great uh, introductory game uh, which is focused on mechanics, so uh, for whoever has never played an, an entirely narrative RPG, uh, this is great because it gives you a pause from ab- abstraction you can see your chapter sheet, and you can see something which is, oh, okay, this number means that if I hit my, with my sword, I will do this damage uh, with this probability. And that's great mm. because it actually means that you can hold on to something. If you think uh, one of my favorite game system of the past, which was uh, Don't Rest Your Head, when you have basically to describe what's your madness trait and... Uh, uh, roll a few dice is uh, to see how much you succeeded and then you basically describe what happened, or the game I'm playing now, which is Fabula Ultima, where you basically spend story points to steer the game w- the direction you want. Uh, these are a bit more abstract systems. Uh, you start from d and and then, if you are interested, if you like it, you go on. Uh, One thing the 5th edition does pretty good is to make it akin to a board game. Uh, I'm saying this in air quotes because 4th edition was probably better at it, but 5th edition is very streamlined, very simple and very combat focused, meaning that uh, I, I don't like a lot what happened to the master manual and something like that, because I remember the Beholder from T.5, which was actually uh, a very fearful monster with a lot of stuff to do and a lot of lore and a lot of... a lot of going on for it, Uh, while now basically a combat with a Beholder is still very powerful, but it's just rolling a dice and see which kind of saving throw you have to do because uh, you'll get damage anyway, and that's it. So, basically, it's mechanically focused, which means lower levels and starting learning to play, you will be fine. When your numbers are high enough to, to, to beat most of what's the challenge in the game, you are done, because there's not a lot more to incentive to play except the, the world building your Dungeon Master does. and. Usually the Dungeon Master is good at work building anyway, whatever the game platform is. So that's basically the, the richness and the big limit of Dungeons & Dragons. That's it.
2: Right, so uh, I thought I'd chip in as well. Um, I'm a uh, lifetime GM, is the way to describe it. Uh, There's a reason for that. Uh, In the length of time I have tried being a player in role-playing sessions, I have found exactly one person who could GM in a way that didn't cause me to be incredibly disruptive (laughs) and, and, and unhappy with what's going on. Um, I just, I'm, I, I like, um, by nature, I like switching around to a lot of different things. It's part of what I like about board games, is learning new board games. So I get bored, I don't want to play a character to a super high level. I, I want to experience some story and um, slipping into different NPCs, just that's the perfect fit for me. So I enjoy playing different characters, so GMing. But um, in addition to that, uh, I didn't even start with the indie. Um and I I've I, I'm on record, I think, even on this podcast of saying how I dislike um the use of a D twenty as a mechanic yes. for rolling. Yes. It de- it devalues skills so much because it's a flat like the variance is flat. There's no bell curve and it's weird because Dungeons and Dragons started off using three D six. Which gives you a value between three and eighteen, and clusters around eleven. So your skills became more important because you were like, "Yeah, I know what I'm going to roll." Um, but obviously, rolling one d twenty streamlined everything. You don't—it's easier. You can look at the number and be like, "That's what the number is." Um, so that makes sense. But my, I think my favourites uh, are actually the percentile systems. And specifically Call of Cthulhu and Call of Cthulhu's fantasy version, which is literally the design um, pitch for it, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. And what's so great about those, especially in Call of Cthulhu, your character can improve a bit. They can get a bit better at like doing specific skills, but they don't really level up. Instead, if you successfully use a skill during a given investigation or chapter of a big, long campaign or whatever, then at the end of it, the GM will be like, OK, now everyone can roll to see if they improve their skills. So you have to have used the skill in the campaign and then on top of that, when you're trying to improve it, you have to roll over your score. So you have to fail the skill check to improve once it comes to levelling. So it means the higher your skills get, the harder it is for you to get better at them because you have less to learn. Um, which is kind of nice, but it also keeps characters very flat. They don't get super like bonkers powerful the longer they're around. In fact, they tend to deteriorate the longer they're around because um, their sanity drops and their max sanity drops as they learn more about the horrors in which they live in um and everything. Uh and also the very game itself lends nicely to investigative role playing where really skills are just there to supplement it and many call cthulhu um and other like horror based role playing might not even end with conflict because you're around a corner and there's a off and it's like um, uh, can you fight Shoggoth? No, no, I'm I'm a newspaper reporter. I think we leave, and that's really like nice and interesting. But it's it it requires you putting aside a character ego. You can play a really fun character. Like we've had some very notable characters through the years. I've GM'd Call of Cthulhu, um, but. The most famous ones died and it's the way they died that like leaves them so famous because they, they just did crazy things. We, have, we still reference at times Charles Mandu, who was a stage magician who turned up very late in one campaign we were running because he was a replacement for a cat burglar who thought hiding from a magic tornado inside a bush would work. Um, that was the player's decision, because he felt that was the correct role-playing decision his character would make. Even though I said, I'm going to roll a d100 for how many points of damage you take, and the man could take 15 points of damage max. And the guy role-playing said, no, that's what my character would do. He would hide here. And I was like, good luck. I hope I roll low. 73. No, you are pink missed. Um, but yeah, Charles Mandu was like... He just turned up and the very first thing he did was he found himself somebody who completely deleted his any aspect of his um, mental capacity for sanity entirely in order to exchange it for a ton of knowledge about things beyond the border. And then he decided it would be best if all of these strange artefacts the group had collected were in his possession so he could then ascend and become a new god. And. Um, and and that's where the campaign ran off to. He died. Uh, he he died very. He died saving everyone else. Not that he wanted to, but but um, they were all tied up, and uh, one of them like broke free and was under a lot of time pressure. So he untied Charles Mandu and threw him at the creature to buy enough time to untie everyone else, which was fantastic. So that's a possibility. Is games like that and. Warhammer Fantasy role place an interesting bridge between the two because the whole pitch when it was first designed was the Workshop turned to the designers and I think I've mentioned in the past I used to go to university with a nephew of one of the two designers um, uh, Phil Gallagher um, anyway they said to the design. that's my name just casual name drop means nothing at all.
0: Um, <laughs> uh,
2: but I did give me a chance to chat with his nephew a bit about the background of what's going on. And they were told, hey, we like this Call of Cthulhu thing. Can you do that for us in the Warhammer world? But can you make it a bit more like D D? Which is so why Warhammer lands in this like spot between the two games where it's got combat and you can fight things and win, but you never get to Completely, a complete victory. You can't ever overcome everything because the ultimate foes are the Chaos Gods, and they're like living concepts in many ways. It's sort of what you're going to do against the Lord of Change, uh, Zench. Like nothing. He's he's going to continue to plot and plan and seduce more people into following his um, convoluted plots to just undermine the world for his, beyond your lifespan. Um, but you get little victories along the way, and it's a nice step between the two uh, with enough classic fantasy elements and it's an IP that's pretty uh, well known there's also the 40k role-playing games um, which are a whole wide variety where you can be as minimal as a like a, a a member of an inquisitor's retinue where effectively you've got a guy with massive authority who says, right, you look, go to this place and sort this out and don't upset me because I can have you all tortured if I really want to or fed into some machine or disposed of. So it's um, it's very like, interesting as well. And ultimately, and I'll get to my point because I've been very long winded. We in our role-playing group have hit on um, a thing where we rotate around between several different campaigns and we do a little bit at a time. So currently in Call of Cthulhu we are halfway through the Complete Masks of Nahal and that's on pause. In Warhammer uh, Fantasy Roleplay we are halfway through the Enemy Within campaign, we're about to go to Middenheim which is my favourite campaign book of any campaign ever it's amazing it takes place over two weeks and it is so thick and dense and it is entirely dependent on what the characters do as to how things are going to pan out which is amazing they have massive like loads of um like freedom uh, uh, to, to do what they want but there's a timeline and things will happen if they're not getting involved you know where everything's going to go. You know where everyone's going to be at all times. It's wonderful. And right now, as a break, we're playing Seventh Sea, uh, which is very Indiana Jones, red line. Travel to this location, have this strange, cool thing happened. Travel to this next location, have this thing happen. And it's in a pseudo-fantasy renaissance Europe. Seventh um, C is very swashbuckly. So that's like... It, it works for us because we kind of rotate around and... Um, that way you never get characters be too powerful, but also I'm very prone to, I get to a certain point and I go, okay, that's it, we're done, that's the end. And that's what I think is important, even in D&D, is you have an arc, and you know where the end's going to be as a GM, and you get to that, and then you stop. And if the players are like, we want to play more D&D, um, you go, okay, well, you can play in the same world as a different group of people taking place after this timeline, or if you want, we can jump forward a generation and you can see what's happened to the world in the period in which we've been, like, uh, between. So you can maybe see your old characters and what became of them. Um, and, but they're not adventurous anymore. Maybe they're the ones handing out the quests uh, and so on. So, yeah, it, every role-playing game, I think, needs kind of have resets. And if those resets are not built in through um, death of characters or forced retirement of characters... Um, then you need something else to reset it, otherwise, like, you end up with um, uh, what do you call it, it's, um, uh, Dragon Ball Z, where, like, well, what's left? You've punched out the most powerful being in the universe, now it's time to punch out the most powerful being in the multiverse. So,
0: yeah. I, I yeah. think it plays exactly like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I'd rather um, Jojo's Bizarre Adventure where you finish one character's story and then you move on to the next generation and see where the world is and what's happened next, which is pretty interesting in itself. So yeah, that's uh, that's my tabletop role-playing experience, or some of them. I've played a lot of role-playing games over the years. Um, the only role-playing games I own that we haven't played yet are Root, which has just had an electronic uh, release, and Fablecraft, which is a... Um, it was a kickstarter electronic role-playing game um, and I've decided to back it to talk about on here but i'm gonna be doing it as an experiment as a player rather than as a uh, as, as a gm which will be fun but I think with like being stepped away and using it via a client electronically that might help and the person i've i've asked to gm i think I, i've i've kind of been teaching him how to how I GM he's been learning from me um, uh, not that I was deliberately trying to teach him at first but he was like oh, I've learnt so much about GMing from you um, that's been really helpful so I'm like okay I'll give you a, you, you don't annoy me I'll give you a shot of GMing for me and maybe it'll ruin our friendship but yeah yeah tabletop playing games you could probably t- talk for hours just about them
0: okay I think that with this we bar through all the time we have today Okay, as usual, you can catch up at uh, patreon.com slash subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iTunes, or Amazon Music, or Direct Download, or whatever medium you use to reproduce audio tracks, actually, or join our Discord to chill out a bit and have a chat and ask Cara to master your sessions. Until next episode, uh, goodbye from Fen.
2: I found the keys to the G and the listeners are not going to get that <laughs> joke because I wasn't speaking at the time or recording.
0: Cara. Bye. And myself, bye. We have been the last and E. And remember, the second E stands for estate, which is summer in Italian.